Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. We're in week two of a sermon series that I've entitled, What Now? What does the church look like post-pandemic? And again, we're not saying the pandemic, we are a post-pandemic. We are anticipating what it will be like when we finally get beyond all of this. And we said last week, just to recap real quick, if you were with us, just a refresher, if you weren't with us, catch you up. We said that there are things that have irrevocably changed. There are things about our world now that are never going back to the way they were. So we as the church can't just plop down back in the pews and say, thank God we finally got back to normal. Normal is completely shaken. This wilderness which we find ourselves in now, which we have been in for a year and and I suspect will continue in for a little while yet, is preparing us, hear that again, this wilderness is preparing us for ministry that we are going to be called to lean into. And we ended last week, far be it from me to quote myself, but allow me to do it this morning. We ended last week saying this. We said the issue isn't that there are unsettling realities. From the point of our faith, it is absolutely no problem that things are in flux. The issue is whether we are willing and ready in faith and in love to adjust to those truths and create new ways forward. Friends, the space where the church is called to be is rapidly changing. And as we have met those changes and those challenges, we've heard story after story that are a form of confirmation that we right now are taking faithful steps into whatever comes after this thing. We have discovered folks in all kinds of new spaces. And as we interact with one another, as we enter into those spaces, we're discovering God has something yet for us to do. And we are being changed, just as our times have been changed. But let me invite you this morning to be a momentary skeptic of that very message for a moment. Because... For me, when I hear this, we got to go do the new thing. We got to lean into what God is calling us to do. My antenna goes up because I have been well-schooled in traditions that say always be chasing the new thing. And I've watched that be as damaging as it has been positive. That we say, oh, God is doing a new thing. God is blessing us. When sometimes it could just be maybe we got lucky. Maybe it just sort of, maybe just things fell into place in such a way that, hey, some cool things have happened. Maybe it's not sustainable long term. Maybe the pandemic forced some things that we can hold on to for a minute, but maybe some of the things that we're doing aren't sustainable in the slightest. And let's tell the truth about the church for a moment. Not necessarily this church, but the church. Let's tell the truth about it. Churches have the absolute worst habit of doing stuff simply because it is the new shiny thing to do, thinking that if we have the shiniest, coolest things, folks will want to come hang out with us. Rather than leaning into faith, churches have the awful habit of leaning into consumerist culture. And there's a whole lot of communities of faith staring into the void of their own existence this morning 
because they so, spent so much time and energy chasing the new thing. So when we talk, as we did last week, about meeting people where they are, perhaps even creating online spaces, the people that are treated as seriously as our in-person spaces, as we talked about seeing the places for connection have changed forever, it's entirely possible that there will come a day when more people will, will engage with us outside the building is in. It can feel, that message can absolutely feel in your ears and sometimes it feels in mine. It can feel un, like another episode of chasing a, wa- chasing a waste of time. So the question, if there's any validity to saying, you know what, things are changing, the question for us as the church is, how do we know when the new thing is a rabbit trail Versus what God is actually calling us to. How do we figure, how, how, do we, how do we sort that out? What is for us putting on an empty spectacle versus what is the life-changing work of the gospel? Post-pandemic church demands our answer to this question. How do we discern? So let us, if we're going to talk about spectacle, let us turn to spectacle in the scriptures. Let's talk for a moment about the greatest set of spectacles in the entire scripture short of the resurrection itself. And of course, we're talking about the Exodus, God extracting, liberating the people from the hands of their oppressor in Egypt. Now, the backstory starts innocently enough that we remember that Joseph is sold by his brothers to Egypt as a slave, but God did a remarkable thing in Joseph's life, and he actually ascends to the number two seat in one of the greatest nations on earth. And so because his family knows that Joseph is, they, they, so the family goes to Egypt because there's a famine. They discover it's their brother who's number two in command. And so they say, whew, that was close. We almost died from hunger, so let's just hang out here. We know we're going to be taken care of. And that's what happens. As the, and as the family starts to turn into a nation, Egypt gets nervous because all of a sudden there's a whole group of foreigners that seem to be exploding in their midst and they're not sure what to do with them. So they do what we often do to people and things that scare us. They enslave them. That's how the people of Israel get enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved because they went looking for refuge. And in the course of time, Moses is sent to deliver the people. This people who is now powerless, devoid of hope. And if you remember the story of Moses, Moses himself is a disgraced and exiled noble. But nevertheless, God remembers that they are the covenanted people of God and they are about to learn what this relationship with God is all about. We're not gonna tell the whole story of the Exodus today. But the passage that we have in front of us from Exodus chapter 7 is sufficient for us to hear a lesson about how we might be post-pandemic. So what God does right at the beginning of this, God calls his own shot. Speaking to Moses and Aaron before they go to meet the Pharaoh for the first time, God says to them, you are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country, of course. But then God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my peoples, my people, the Israelites. Put another way, he says, you are going to do everything right. You're going to do exactly what I tell you, and it's going to make Pharaoh worse? What kind of a plan is this? 
a faithful reading of this text says, why would God harden somebody's heart? Why would God harden anybody's heart? So we wonder, what is it that God is, what is the purpose of these spectacles if they're not going to move anything forward? But nevertheless, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They make their request, let my people go. And Pharaoh's having none of it. So far, so good. And Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. You know, pretty cool trick. And pretty convincing. If I'm the Pharaoh, I'm like, that dude's turning sticks into snakes. Let's get him out of here. Looking back, Pharaoh might have wished he'd have made that, <laughs> made that choice. But he didn't. Instead, Pharaoh, it says Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them. Pharaoh calls in his magicians and they do the same thing, except Aaron's snake is the big bad snake on the block and eats them all. Like, that's a scene. But this is the ongoing story. God does this miraculous, remarkable thing. Pharaoh walks away from it in the hardness of his heart. But this is the plan, spectacle after spectacle, and Pharaoh never budges. Why? There's a lot of questions to be asked of this passage. But it seems to me, one of the faithful readings of this text is that these miracles were never about Pharaoh in the first place. Pharaoh, throughout this entire story, sees this whole thing as a huge power struggle. Pharaoh sees himself as a god. He sees Moses and Aaron representing another god. And this is an arm wrestling between divinities. Who's bigger and badder? That's not God's jam. God's not talking to Pharaoh. God's trying to communicate with his people. God's trying to rebuild a relationship with the people God's saying, this isn't about Pharaoh, it's about you. Do you trust me? And if you do trust me, Israelites, God says, keep your eyes right here. Power in God's eyes isn't about who has the coolest snake staff or who can do the baddest miracle. It was always about God building a relationship and a connection with the people whom God had chosen. The spectacle, therefore, isn't the point connection is God was willing to do anything to connect with his people strength was never going to be in miracles it was always going to be in the covenant the connection in the ways that they connected with God and with one another the spectacle friends is never the point the relationship is Fast forward to Jesus. Maybe Jesus' most well-known miracle. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And he says, look, guys, he's like, I need to go pray. This was Jesus' way. He would pour out energy and then he would treat, re retreat in order to build that energy right back up. And so he says, fellas, I'm going up to the mountain to pray for a little while. I'd like to be by myself. You guys start heading out and across the, across the lake. I'll catch up with you later. All right, and so they start going. It says the fourth watch of the night, which is really late. All right, and their boat is out in the middle of nowhere. It's caught in the middle of the storm, and Jesus is like, uh-oh, they got too far away. So he starts walking across the water. Jesus puts on a spectacle, and he cries out to them. They're, they're freaking out, which makes all the sense in the world. Like, that looks like a ghost to me. And Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Like, fellas, fellas, what's up? It's me. Jesus calls out to them with relationship. He says, you know me, you know my voice, it's me, guys. 
One of them, Peter, ever the brave one, wants to go out. So Jesus is like, cool, let's, let's do this. Come on out, Petey. Let's have a good time. Now Peter's on the water. He's walking on the water. But as soon as Peter sees the storm, he starts to sink. As soon as he forgets his connection with Christ, as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts it on the water, he's going down. Peter starts looking around. He sees the medium that he's walking on. He focuses on that and immediately his lungs fill so that he can't breathe. Jesus, ever the compassionate one, reaches down, grabs him, pulls him up and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why, Peter, did you take your eyes off me? Why did you lose the connection that we had? Why was the miracle more important to you in the moment than the relationship? You see, the water was never the point. The connection, his relationship and trust of Jesus was always the point. And in this story, Jesus is reminding us, eyes up here, look at me. Don't focus on the medium, but also don't be afraid to walk on the water. Cool story about the, the apostles is after they're like, whoa. This blows them away. And immediately it says that, that after, after this story, after they've connected with Jesus, after they made some sense of their relationship with Jesus, it says that they decide they're going to go out and start serving the poor in their communities. Their connection with Jesus sparked connection with one another. As the apostles are drawn to Christ, they are also then drawn to their neighbors. And the scriptures tell us that they go out healing and serving. Don't focus on the medium, but don't be afraid to walk on the water. Friends, most of the things that we do in church have not all that much value in and of themselves. But to the point that the tools we have in the life that we live facilitate connection to God and one another, to the point we do that, we also facilitate the gospel. So think about this space right now that so many of you miss. Let's be honest about it. There's little value in coming and just sitting in a building. But to the point that the building helps us to connect with one another, the building helps us proclaim the gospel. At one time, the phone was the brand new technology. And in fact, the phone has started, started us down a road of ways of connecting to one another that we see flourishing now in a social media and, tech, and technology world. It actually started separating us. There's little value to picking up a phone and speaking to one another, but we figured out how to use the phone as a means of connection. Things like call your mother, which is a good idea. You should call your mom today if you haven't done that in a while. Or we as the church decided, hey, you know what? This phone thing can help us create a prayer chain so that we can pass information around, not to gossip, but to connect with our neighbor. We learned how to use that technology in a way that connected us to one another and to our wider community. A church newsletter was once the bright, shiny, new thing. Wow, you have a printer. Wow, you can print these things off and you can mail stuff out. 
To the point that we receive a piece of mail is really not all that useful. I mean, you and I get enough junk mail to know that just because there's something in our mailbox doesn't mean it's of much use to us. But to the point that a newsletter connects us, gives us information, and brings us together, the newsletter is a wonderful tool. Shoot, even the Bible, we didn't have it for 400 years. You do realize the written word is its own kind of technology. And for 400 years, the church had no Bible by which to judge its life. And eventually, and to write words down in a book doesn't really have all that much value except to the point that it connects us to God and it connects us to one another. Anything we do, friends, can bring us to a point of connection, encouragement, and strength with one another. In other words, growth and development, leaning into the, our moment, has always been the story of the church. And that is what has been so amazing about this pandemic. Have you been paying attention? I know it's hard to pay attention when one of our primary forms of communication being in here has been broken. But have you been paying attention? Connection has been front and center, not just in the church, but in our world, because we're missing it so badly. And it has forced us to be creative in creating spaces where connection can happen. And consider right now, not one person has ever joined one of our live stream worship services just because it's online. No one does that. Online church is useful because it has been a point where all connection is lost, we can at least connect with one another in that space. We drop each other a line. Hey, what's going on? Hey, I haven't had a chance to check that out. Hey, I heard about that guy or I have a friend that goes to that church, so let's check that out. It's always been about connection, new experiences, even new relationships. I was struck so many of you joined into Jenny's online women's group. Like I remember one time I walked around just to see what she was doing and like the screen was filled and I'm like, <clears throat> what are you all doing here? But no one's coming to that study just because it's a Zoom call. Nobody needs that anymore. Like we don't need more Zoom calls in our lives, I assure you. But what was happening is that y'all were experiencing connection in a way, because connection had been taken away with you, from you, you had found a way to connect in other ways. The technology simply facilitated the connection. And let me assure you that no one is coming to daily prayer because it's a polished, beautiful production. Spoiler alert, I'm not showered about 10% of the time when we show up. It is not a beautiful thing. It is not a lovely thing or a gorgeous thing. People are showing up to daily prayer because it's connecting us to one another at a time when we need it. And the stories that we've heard is that it is connecting us to people on our list who are hearing us say their name every single day in a time when connection is precious. That's the point. The technology the tools, the new arenas that we've had, to, had to, we've had to cultivate are not the point connection is. And that is the success story of this church in 2020 and into 2021. And so friends, what if the new opportunities we have don't take away from who we are, but rather contribute deeper to who we are? What if a church that is willing to cultivate more spaces for people to connect with us could be? What if that could be the future of what it looks like to be a more rural and community-focused church? <clears throat> what if the content we produce wasn't just about building platforms or getting members, but really was about contributing to a dynamic, growing community and conversation? I think it can be.
And I think that's the challenge in front of the church going forward. What will post-pandemic look like? The churches that will thrive post-pandemic are the ones who are willing to walk on the water if it means connection with others. And when we fail to connect, when we fail to show up in some of those spaces, what we proclaim to the world is, we're not interested in connecting with you. We're not interested in you. The ways that you communicate, the way you build connection, we're not there, and so we can't build that. But when we show up into those spaces and we make the effort as best we can, we announce our intention to be here for one another. See, friends, it's never been about the tools. It's always been about relationship. So the post-pandemic call to the church is eyes up here. Don't focus on the tools. Don't focus on the spectacle, but neither be afraid of them. Use them to build connection. New ways of gathering isn't just to do the new thing. It's the same thing it's always been, which is draw us closer to God and to one another. If we fail in that mission, we'll fail. It'll be another shiny thing that we do, which will be a complete waste of time. But with eyes up here, with focused on God, focused on one another, focused on becoming the kind of people that we are called to be by loving God and loving one another, will flourish post-pandemic. Not because we're so special as to walk on water, but because we have our eyes fixed on God and fixed on our neighbor. Eyes up here, y'all. And who knows what we'll find ourselves walking in.